Hi, my name is Tony DeBono, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dumbledore. Wait, what's that? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, welcome to the show. This episode 123 of I Doubt It with Dollamore on this May 13th, 2015. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, Brittany Page. Here I am. Bull in a goddamn china shop over there, <laughs> banging and clanging around. All right. Well, here's the thing. This what's happening right now, and every time we do this, is a similar situation. Do this. Every yeah. time we do this. Yeah, this, whatever this is. <laughs> and it's similar to what happens to me when I'm on a plane. I have a difficult time placing Don't my listen. legs right. in a where yeah. Yeah, I, I have a difficult time. Yeah, your mama long legs over there. Daddy long legs over my there. My mama long legs? You're five foot ten. Yeah, and most of it three. is legs. Yeah, I'm six foot three. My legs are longer than yours. My everything is bigger than yours, save my vagina. It's not <laughs> as big as yours. What what is your inseam? Thirty-four? Okay. Barely. All right. Barely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm I'm a bigger human being than you. So when you make excuses about jangling around over there, we we sit at identical workstations. No. We're at a lo- Listen, for the audience's sake, <laughs> since we're going off on a tangent arguing with one another, Brittany and I sit at a studio table that's like a long dinner table with all of our equipment scattered across it. Cross it. Ooh. I don't know. So we sit at, it's not like a, a curved thing and her, she, her, you sit with, at the, in an identical chair that is an identical height with an identical level table. The opening to for your chair is the same. Maybe you should straddle the, the leg of the table like I do. That might be a better idea for me. <laughs> It's taking 123 episodes to, for you to figure out the best ways to not bang and clank around. No, because we haven't had this set up for 123 episodes, All mind right. you. Anyway, how are you? Grad school is coming rapidly to a close. Well, Tomorrow, Thursday, when the listeners are listening to this, will be your final day of your first year of graduate school for clinical psychology at your particular university. Yeah. So, I don't know why I had to announce it So like just that, finishing but. my first year, my last finals tomorrow in psychological assessment. So it's going to be a little difficult. Yeah. You're stressed out. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I, I have an initial, a set of initials that I text to Brittany whenever she gets back to me about a grade that she was stressed out about, super stressed out about, or anything when Brittany, Brittany is high strung. She's stressed out about things. Mm-hmm. And so she will... Text me and oh, this went really well. I'm about to cry. I could cry right now. It's so I'm so excited or whatever. And I always try to be gracious and oh yeah, that's really great. I'm really proud of you. Happy, happy. And then it's always followed with I T Y S. I told you so. Silent. 
just kind of silent over there? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Okay, I have, I worry a bit. <laughs> a bit. Yeah. You are you're prone to anxiety, relative to your grades for sure. I mean, you're you're very conscientious, and you dedicate a lot of energy stressing out about your performance. Yeah, I don't understand what's wrong with that. I, I'm, I didn't say it's bad. I'm stating facts. I'm right. describing the situation at hand. Yeah, I. By the uh, way, my voice is completely fucked right now. Yeah, it sounds like you're getting sick. Yeah, no good. It, it's. I didn't want to say anything, but it's not good. You're fine. <laughs> Why are you? That's always your response every time that I get sick. Well, you're. When you get sick. The the world just stops because you cannot function if you are not feeling 100%. Well, it's because usually when I get sick, I feel like a sweaty bag of smashed assholes. Okay. No good. Mm-hmm. I think that when I get sick, I do it right. And when you get sick, you're just, eh, you know, a eh, 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 little under the weather. Um... No, that's not necessarily true, but you are definitely very whiny when you get sick. Well, when I get sick, I get sick. That is not true. That is not true. You You will have a minor cold and you will be the whiniest (laughs) bitch that anyone has ever seen. Wow. Yes. That is that is that is hurt. That hurts my feelings. Well, we're just speaking in facts here. That's what we do on the show. Listen, you have seen me. At my very sickest. Yeah, I have. Because <laughs> I can tell you this. It wasn't me who cleaned up poop and puke All out right. of the shower that time. I didn't do that. Don't tell people that I did that. <laughs> we hired a CNA to come in. Oh, it was a bad situation. And, and take care of some sitch that happened. <laughs> Lots of sitch <laughs> that couldn't go down the drain. Okay. All right. In- hey. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't. It was not a good situation. I have been... Listen, I get sick. When I get sick, it happens and it's sick. It's no good. You're you're that's fine. Not, you are fine. That's the kind of sick that I am right now. Okay. I'm just saying my voice is extra cheesy DJ right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wacky morning zoo, everybody. Traffic and weather together on the eights. Our favorite reviewer that is unhappy when you uh, enunciate. <laughs> She's not going to be happy today. For sure not. I don't... Know that she's a woman, but for some reason. Yeah, why have we been attributing a female gender to her? I have no idea. Hmm. I just, I just think it's a woman. Yeah, and maybe that's sexist of me because she's bitching that I'm overpronouncing words. All right, just so everyone knows, when Jesse said that sentence, my eyes kind of went wide open because I'm just shocked by his. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Chauvinism? Just uh, like douchebaggery, I think mm, is maybe Douchebaggery, yeah. yes, yes. Well, I'm just admitting my bias that I just assume it's a woman. It's Anyway, we're getting really far afield here. Goddamn. What an auspicious start to episode 123. We've got a lot to get to today. It's a busy, busy day, despite my under-the-weatherness. Is that a thing? Yes. Well, it is now. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about... I told a story about having been stung in my goddamn kidneck. <laughs> I remember that. While riding a bike, and I got stung by a bumblebee. One of those big, fat, hairy bumblebees. Well, our the show's resident bee expert, a friend of mine from Boise, Idaho, who happens to have an apiary, a bee wonderland in his backyard, 
he is switching. He's kind of making a transition from a hobbyist in bees to, you know, like a sci, a full fledged researcher, awesome science guy in bees. And he has a Facebook page that I mentioned that day, Mark's Bee Hole. Well, Mark called in to give us a little bit more detail about bumblebees because Brittany had no idea what I was talking about. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, this is Mark from Mark's Bee Hole. I heard your last podcast asking about bumblebees, and so I thought I'd call and give you a few fun facts about them. But first, I wanted to say thank you, Jesse, for being the one that named my bee hole. You always fail to mention that you're the one that named my bee hole. So I just want to make sure you get the credit for being the one to name my bee hole. In fact, I think we're on a pretty good mission to make my bee hole the most popular bee hole on the internet. Yeah, it is. With that said, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about bumblebees. I'm surprised you haven't heard more about bumblebees since those that argue intelligent design use the bumblebee quite often as an example, saying that bumblebees really shouldn't be able to fly and without intelligent design that wouldn't happen and in fact if you do what i like to call barroom math on the back of a napkin and try to figure out how a bumblebee flies saying the same way uh, airplane flies it's true a bumblebee cannot fly but what scientists have find out and once again there's that word scientists is that when bumblebees fly, they don't use the same sort of um, pattern that uh, airplane wings use or bird wings use or even fly wings use. Uh, they actually rotate their wings in a pattern that creates a mini hurricane up above it. And this creates the low uh, air pressure, which is how bees fly. Bumblebees are found all over the United States. In fact, they're found farther north than most any other bees because they can do a better job of keeping their bodies warm. Um, they're one of the only insects, bees in general, are one of the only insects that can regulate their body temperature. Um, they can actually use the same muscles they use for flying to generate heat. This makes it so that they can live in some very cold climates, even up, up to higher than 9,000 feet in the Alps. Um, so I don't know why Brittany hasn't seen bumblebees since you can see them anywhere in the United States. There's a big difference between honeybees and bumblebees in that bumblebees can sting repetitively. So Jesse, you're lucky you only got stung once. Yeah. Once a bumblebee feels threatened, it will sting over and over again since it does not have a barb on the end of its stinger oh like a honeybee God. does. Yeah. If a honeybee, a honeybee stings you, its stinger pulls out of its body and it dies. Uh, whereas bumblebees have been known to take over mouse holes and chase mice out of their ho homes with their stingers so that they can then use the hole for their um, home. One, one cool thing is that they are social bees like uh, honeybees are. They live in a colony. A honeybee colony will have up to about 80,000 honeybees in it around the end of July before it starts to get ready for winter. Whereas a uh, bumblebee colony only has about 100 to 500. So quite smaller. All they do is live towards bumblebees, that is. They live towards replacing their queen. They kill their queen every year. And the queen overwinters and starts a new colony. Whereas honeybees, um, they keep their queens around for two to three years. And they actually live through the winter, whereas bumblebees hibernate. So that's all I have really for you about bumblebees as far as fun, interesting facts go. I could probably talk a whole another hour about it, but 
I wanted to talk one more thing before I left, in, and that is how Brittany has never been stung before. So I think if you guys are ever in Boise, Idaho, we should do your first <laughs> live podcast. Yes. Where Brittany gets her first bee sting. Yeah. And this is actually something I'm looking into because and have an interest because of I'm starting to do. develop arthritis <laughs> in my left hand from being a baseball catcher for so long. And one of the ways to treat arthritis that's new and breaking in a not Dr. Oz way is bee sting <laughs> therapy, where the venom actually helps cure the arthritis. And it's interesting, you know, after I've been I've been stung quite a bit. You know, dealing with bees, and it's to the point now where I kind of miss it. It's kind of interesting how it, <laughs> you know, at first I was sort of allergic. I would swell up to it, but now um, I really don't swell up. Um, it does get itchy, and it kind of releases an endorphin. So maybe next time you guys are in Boise, we could set something up, and <laughs> Brittany can take her first bee sting. Yeah. Anyways, love the show, guys. Keep up the good work. Uh, any bee questions, reach out to me. Uh, if I don't know the answer, I will scientifically find out, find a way to get you the answer. Thanks a lot, guys, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Awesome. Um, I am not on board with that. We are And I doing don't like that. that he's looking into it preemptively before I've agreed. It is a good idea. <laughs> no. So any of you who are interested, and I don't know why you would not be interested in in. Well, one, the importance of bees agriculturally and also the history of bees. If you want to listen, if you want to listen to like kind of an interview with Mark and Mark's bee hole, he was on a podcast called Nerd Out Loud and Jeremy and Christy over there did a great job of really getting down deep into what he does and how important bees are. And I think it's awesome. I'm, I am fucking fascinated by it. So go follow Mark's bee hole on on Facebook, and that's not B like letter B hole. It's B E E hole, bee hole. And the reason I never talk about the fact that I named his bee hole is because it's it's his thing. I don't need to every time. I don't need to toot my own horn every single time it gets brought up. I'm happy to have contributed in some small way to the success of what will be. An empire, his bee empire. So, in talking about the the stinging me, um, <laughs> I, I'll do it if it's like good entertainment, right? I, I think it would be awesome. But the thing is, I like we talked about. I'm a very anxious person, and yeah. I remember one time we which were, would make for more entertainment. We were doing <laughs> we were doing an experiment in um, biopsychology, and we had to. Um, Take our blood sugar levels, you know, by pricking your finger with that. Oh yeah, yeah. With that, um, yeah. that gun, and you hike the needle up, and then you put it against your finger, and then it jams it into your finger and makes yeah. you bleed. And I was watching everyone around me do it in class, and I was one of the last people to do it because I was so anxious. And I then was sweating. But then when it happens, it's ah, no big deal. Well, it, it definitely hurts, but I think building up to it is what makes it so bad. Well, we, I'm sure if we were to do this, and we will be back in Boise, it, it is most certain that at some point... <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate that we've only been back a couple of times in the past five or six years, but we will make it back, and I think that is a great idea to make it back, do a show... Have a segment on the show of you live getting stung by a bee. Yeah. 
And the great thing about it would be you'd be able to pick where you got stung. I say right below your eyeball. Yeah. You know, it would be hilarious <laughs> is if I was deathly allergic to bees. Nah, you're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Have to see that hot doctor again with me all ballooned up from my bee sting. <laughs> you'd look like Will Smith on that uh, that uh, movie Hitch where he eats Haven't the shellfish. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. A little too lowbrow for me. <laughs> Wow, this is not going well. So this episode is almost entirely going to be follow-up. When we wrote the rundown and we compiled our topics like we do every week, we have never seen a conglomeration of topics come together like this one. What was with the quizzical shoulder shrug? What was that? I don't think I've heard the word in that form before. Conglomeration? Yeah. Well, a conglomeration is a grouping of different things, like a company is a conglomerate. Yeah, I've heard the word conglomerates. All right, well, I just used it correctly. Go okay, I look just... look it up. I looked quisitive, right? Quizzical. I looked quizzical. Yeah. So that doesn't mean I was looking at you like, oh, he just said a wrong word. That's why I took it. Because okay. you're always trying to take a big shit on me. So I'm, you know, I'm just... I'm on the defense all the time. So anyway, I digress. Our first article of follow-up, you may remember having heard this segment of a 911 call. Me, I'm Amanda Berry. I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years and I'm, I'm here. I'm free now. Well, that is a 911 call from famed at this point, Amanda Berry, who was kidnapped years before that. Held captive for 10 years by Ariel Castro in Cleveland. That's right. Held captive in his home in Cleveland with two other women. And luckily, one day he, you know, left them unchained or left the door unlocked or something. And they, Amanda Berry was able to escape, get help, and then get the other two out. That's and, right. And then that happened about a year ago, I think. Was able to get to the cops there. And then I think it was the authorities who finally made the rest of the releases. So, in the course of everything we've talked about, if you'd like to listen to exactly what we talk about relative to this, you have to go all the way back to episode number three. Just do not do that, though. Zero, zero, three. No, I listened to a lot of it today, and it was good. It was, it was okay. good. I mean, we've certainly matured relative mm. to our professionalism right. and ability to broadcast, mm. but uh, it's still good. It was great content. So... Uh, she's getting ready to release a book or there's a movie coming out and she just revealed. Well, let's go back a little bit. There used to be a psychic named Sylvia Brown, who was like the resident asshole on the resident asshole show, Montel Williams. And she would make predictions. And there was a, a, a little kid named Sean Hornbeck that was kidnapped and her parents came on the Montel show to talk to Sylvia Brown and Sylvia Brown told them that their son was dead. A couple of years later, he was discovered to be in an apartment in St. Louis and it wasn't true. He wasn't dead. Sylvia Brown also died in November 2013 and did not predict her death. Yeah, fuck so. her. She's dead. Terrible person. When someone bad dies, I'm not going to be sad. So, She's she she uh, also talked to the mother of Amanda Berry and with much of the same results of the Sean Hornbeck case. 
cases, in fact, right? It's one thing to be a psychic predicting love or the lack thereof. Can you tell me where my love life's going? Nowhere. But there's nothing funny when it comes to predicting life or death. She's gone, honey. Do you know where she's at? In the house or under the house. In that case, psychic Sylvia Brown was right. But now she's under attack. What a horrible human being. For being wrong about this girl. Almost nine years ago, Amanda Berry's mom went on the Montel Williams show where resident psychic Sylvia Brown spoke of Amanda. I don't think I'll ever see her again. Yeah, in heaven, on the other side. The WMMS morning show in Cleveland reenacted the transcript. The host read the part of the psychic. I hate this when they're in water. She's not alive, honey. Not alive? Then who's this? I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years and I'm, I'm here, I'm free now. Amanda's mom is the one no longer alive. She came home from the psychic's reading telling the Cleveland Plain Dealer she was devastated. She died a little more than a year later after being hospitalized with pancreatitis. Now Sylvia Brown is getting ripped on social media. Brown is a grief vampire, nothing short of evil. You didn't have to be a psychic to predict what Sylvia Brown would say about her mistake. I have been more right than wrong. If ever there was a time to be grateful and relieved for being mistaken, this is that time. Only God is right all the time. My heart goes out to Amanda Berry. There was one part of Sylvia Brown's prediction that her supporters say turned out to be accurate. The radio host read the psychic's words describing the man who took Amanda. Is this sort of Cuban-looking, short, kind of stocky build, heavy set? Turns out the suspect is Latino with the last name Castro. One commenter posted, Psychic wins lottery again. The headline you will never see anywhere. Instead, we saw this headline, and even we could predict what that could do to a mother's head. Genimo, CNN, New York. So here's the thing, and this is why this is follow-up. In the course of the interviews that Amanda Berry is doing right now to promote her next project, whether it be a movie or a book, I'm sorry, I don't know. It's a book, and oh. she's publishing it with one of the people that she was in captive, one of the people that she was held captive with, um, Gina De Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, in the course of all this and these interviews she's doing to promote the book, she has she has said that she watched on television the episode of Montel Williams with Sylvia Brown talking to her mother saying that she was dead. And goddamn. So she wrote about it in her journal and in the book they uh Amanda Berry provides her journal excerpts of when she was watching the show, when she was getting ready to watch the show. November 16th, 2004, this is huge. Mom's going to be on the Montel Williams show. She's going to be on tomorrow with Sylvia Brown, the cool psychic. I love her. This is amazing. Mom and I used to watch Montel all the time, and we loved it when Sylvia was on. She made some amazing predictions. I want my mom to know I'm alive. Sylvia has to tell her. November 17th, 2004. There she is. This is so exciting. Sylvia is asking my mom about a Cuban-looking guy who is short and stocky. It's him. He's Puerto Rican, not Cuban, but it's close. Quote, can you tell me if they'll ever find her, Mom asks. Is she out there? Then Sylvia says, I hate this when they're in the water. I just hate this. She's not alive, honey. What? 
Why did she say that? Mom's face just drops. I started crying and shouting at the TV. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I'm right here. Sylvia Brown. It's moments like this that I wish there were a hell that she was burning for eternity in. Because she was a terrible fucking charlatan who who tormented someone who was already going through the ultimate torment of brutal rape and torture and kidnapping of over a decade. Now, some would ask, some probably who aren't listening to this program, would ask, well, how did she get it right? Well, she got kind of it right because he's a Cuban. And there is a very logical and blaringly obvious explanation for that when you know what it is. Right. The friendly atheist on Pathios.com says that Brown very likely prepped for her appearance on the show and would have known that Barry lived and worked in a West Cleveland neighborhood, which the Associated Press described as a tight-knit, mostly Puerto Rican neighborhood. Which really fits the M.O. of the charlatan Sylvia Brown. So in these journal entries, Amanda Barry goes on to say that if her mom doesn't believe that she's there alive that how is she supposed to continue that's right to have hope that she's going to be found and that someone's going to save her and that she watched on the news her mom saying that she's 98 percent sure that what sylvia told her is true and that she was taking amanda berry's room apart and giving up and there's amanda berry in that house live in a living hell and added terror added terror to what she was already going through and so i think a lot of people think well you know this psychic stuff it's really innocuous it's kind of cute it's fun hey it's just fun let's go and visit a psychic right it's not fun and and oftentimes it's it's damaging it's not cute yeah it's not innocent there are real devastating consequences and some might say well people shouldn't believe this in the first place Okay, but people shouldn't be taking advantage of people that are believing this in the first place. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's these poor people, Amanda Berry, who loves this psychic, and her mom, who loves this psychic. Well, that's the other thing. Her mom, her mom, her mother died brokenhearted of heart failure. I mean, literally died of heart failure, thinking that her daughter had been murdered. It's, It's unconscionable. And these, I mean, luckily, this this particular charlatan hag is dead, but there are others. That John Edward guy, he's still out there. The There's so many of these types out there, these mediums and these charlatans who take people's money, dash their hopes, and lie to them. So Montel Williams is also complicit in Absolutely. this, in my opinion. So he, he weighed in on this with a Facebook post. He said, I saw hashtag Amanda Berry's incredibly courageous interview last night. It was an interview conducted with incredible dignity and poise that stands as a powerful example of the power. We can't, he can't find different words, incredible, several times and power over and over again. What's going on here? Well, he's a fucking idiot. All right. Anyway, the power of the human spirit to overcome even the greatest of atrocities. I'm so sorry that anything said on my show caused her pain. Mm. And I'm so grateful it turned out to be incorrect. Amanda Berry is a clearly one very strong young woman whose courage should inspire us all. That's how he wrote it. 
He, Very strange. He was a naval officer. I mean, he. I used to have a lot of respect for him, and now he's doing commercials for these check cashing places that charge exorbitant, astronomical interest rates and keep people who are in financial difficulties held down and captured into the cycle of poverty. Here's what's crazy to me. Is, he's a fucking jerk. Is that Sylvia Brown flat out lied Right. And we know for a fact that she flat out said that someone was dead who wasn't dead. Right. She lied. Right. And people were saying, well, she didn't lie about some of it. I mean, that's effectively what they were saying. Right. She got some of it right. Well, she didn't lie about some of it. She only lied about the most important part. And it wasn't just Amanda Berry. Like I said, it was the Sean Hornbeck guy. Well, it's been countless other people. So many. She's not. There was some article that I read a long time ago where they went through and analyzed a certain amount of of psychic predictions. I think from Sylvia Brown. It might have been on the third episode uh, that we did. Yeah. And the rate that she was right was, you know, non-existent. Well, uh, anyway, look, I don't like to be mean. I don't like to be vindictive or vicious. But when a bad person dies... That bad person's bad influence on society no longer exists. That's why when Pat Robertson kicks over, I'm not going to be mournful. It's going to be a good thing, and I'm not going to bring him into this all. But sometimes the world is a better place when some aren't in it. And so for those of you who are wanting to learn more about... A boot? More about... Wow, um, a Canadian right now. Amanda Berry... <laughs> Amanda Berry and Gina De Jesus. Their book is called Hope, a memoir of survival in Cleveland. And they were held captive with a third woman, Michelle Knight. But um, apparently they haven't stayed close with her and she wasn't involved in the book. Yeah. So moving on, I guess we're going to stay with a theme of charlatans today, Brittany Page. Dr. Oz, friend of the show. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Oz was on Fox and Friends to talk about the the dust up that's been going on with the letter that was written the letter that was written to him by the 10 doctors that he has attacked their character but then there's also this group of doctors that wrote him a letter from Columbia Medical School from his the, the school at which he teaches or the school at which he holds a position and they are colleagues of his and they also said some bad things so here is him with Uh, the insufferable Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Popular doctor in daytime television, but Dr. Oz has faced his fair share of criticism last month. In fact, six fellow Columbia faculty members told USA Today this. This is their quote. Many of us are spending a significant amount of our time, our clinical time, debunking Ozisms, this unsubstantiated medical sillies, the reputation of Columbia University. But the doctor has faced his critics before, and he is not afraid to do it again. Joining us now is the host of the Dr. Oz Show, Dr. Mehmet Oz, with me now on the curvy couch. So, doctor, let me ask you this. When, when those professors, those 10 doctors, wrote this letter, you, you were unafraid to come out and say, this is unsubstantiated. This is what I do on my show. Where do we stand right now with their claims versus your word? Well, first of all, there were two letters written. The first letter was written by 10 individuals, not from my university, who I do believe had an agenda. And I called them out on it on the show because I, I felt that if I'm going to talk honestly about what's going on in America, I shouldn't have folks lobbying criticisms at me that are unsubstantiated. Because but, their ties were to what? 
Some are ties to, to genetically modified organizations, supporting or, uh, groups. They are ties to pesticide groups. Some, some had worked for the cigarette industry. Others had criminal records. So there, there was a, it was a mixed bag of folks. When they had written a letter to my dean asking me for, to me to, to be dismissed, that's a, that's a, a big accusation. Sure is. But I've had other letters, like the one you just quoted from colleagues of mine at Columbia University, who actually said very laudatory things in the letter. But they also said, listen, it's a concern for us because Oz is talking about hardcore medical stuff, but he also talks about unsubstantiated stuff like, like alternative medicine. Uh, he has prayer on his show. And the fact of the matter is I do toggle back and forth between hardcore medicine, which I do believe we do a very good job getting right. If I'm talking about cancer care, signs of heart disease. We do clinics all around the country. I mean, I do, we do this very well. But there are times that I've always been like this, Elizabeth. I like to look around the corner. What else is out there? What other ideas might be helpful? Because the show is about prevention. It's about wellness. It's not a medical press show. So my job is to take all of America and elevate the conversation. Now, here's the big issue. Yeah. How do I make it easier for my viewers to talk to their doctors? That's always been my goal. It has. So when doctors call and say, listen, you're making it harder, well, I want to improve that. I want to alter the show and what I do to make it easier for that conversation. But when they say it's making it harder, is that because you give patients sort of, I think, the confidence to walk in and present some alternate ideas to their physicians? I think that's arming a patient with more freedom to walk in and the confidence to bring up some maybe alternate routes to seek their health. Is that a bad thing? I think it's a good thing, and the majority of, uh, of people who have written to me obviously agree with what you're saying. Mm. But there's some well-meaning individuals who say, listen, there are things you could do to make it even easier or better. And that's always been my aspirational goal. Will you, will you doctor your terms differently the next time? Would you not say the word miracle again? Because you're going to hear from some people who are going to write a nasty letter about you. Elizabeth, the, the, you know, I wish I'd never used the laudatory terms I used for weight loss supplements. That was the big mistake that I think... All of us acknowledge, and I stopped doing that a long time you ago, did. over a year ago. So I, I never wanted my message to be hijacked by marketers on the web that are stealing my name and like this and just trying to sell you products. I also realized there's a lot of fraud in actually the products themselves. They're selling you fake stuff, and the research behind it was often fraudulent. So Elizabeth Hasselbeck doing a real good uh, job of being not biased yeah, during real, that interview. Real hard-hitting journalism right there. What What is Dr. Oz, her BFF or something? Well, you'll see later that... Uh they are BFFs. She knows the family. Clearly, that was a puff, not just even a puff piece. She sat down. He sat down there knowing he was going to be able to spew whatever bullshit he wanted to. Right. Because she was affirming everything he was saying. Right, this is right. what my show's about. Yeah, it is. Yeah. This is what I want to do for my patients. Yeah, you do. Well, wouldn't you say this? Well, of course, Elizabeth. That's a positive thing. Yes, I would say that. What I want to point out, though was this last sentence, and this isn't the last sentence of the interview, it's just where I stopped it, was this last sentence. I also realized there's a lot of fraud in actually the products themselves. They're selling you fake stuff, and the research behind it was often fraudulent. Wow. He, I don't think he could have said that any quicker to try to get past it. He put the other thing in there first right, to kind of cover up that second part. That the research was also fraudulent. Well, it's far easier... To, to, to commit fraud relative to your research when it is not peer-reviewed science. That is the purpose, and that is why we scream from the rooftops all the time about peer-reviewed literature, peer-reviewed research. None of this is peer-reviewed. He should know that it's not valid, that it should not be relied upon. It sure, certainly shouldn't spark you to be using words like miracle cure. Well, and just to be devil's advocate here, there have been studies that are peer-reviewed and published and then uh, retracted. 
Wakefield. Sure. Um, but even with those studies, there are things about them that maybe you would be able to pick out if you read them. For instance, in Wakefield's study, the sample like size 19. was like five kids or something. Yeah, I think it was 19, was the, but that's nothing. Right. Well, that would be an issue to take with the study. So I'm sure these, when Dr. Oz is saying, well, these studies were fraudulent, well, I'm sure maybe they had issues that he could have picked out. Right. Even if they weren't fraudulent in the beginning and later became fraudulent. Right. Well, just the fact that they weren't peer reviewed leads should lead him to believe a man of science to believe that. But, you know, facts don't really matter with him. Um, I took this clip and this is something I think we talked a little bit about. And this was back from well, however many episodes we've talked about him for many, many times on this show. But he talked about his battle against apple juice and arsenic. Kids in danger. It was the show that left the audience with their mouths gaping. Some of the best known brands in America have arsenic in their apple juice. Dr. Oz's warning about arsenic and apple juice left some parents pulling their beloved juice boxes from their children and left some doctors, including our own Dr. Richard Besser, enraged. Mehmet, I'm, I'm very upset about this. I think that this was extremely irresponsible. It reminds me of yelling fire in a movie theater. I, I'm not fear-mongering. We did our homework on this. The Dr. Oz show says they tested three dozen samples of apple juice and say 10 contain arsenic levels higher than the amount allowed in drinking water. But the FDA did their own testing and found much lower levels. They insist apple juice is safe. Still, Dr. Oz stood by his conclusions. The FDA should not allow more arsenic in our apple juice than we allow in our drinking water. The limit for arsenic in water is 10 parts per billion. For fruit juice, 23 parts per billion. But the FDA says they set a lower limit for the amount of arsenic allowed in water because people consume more water than juice. Still, apple juice anxiety is high. You On know, The View. I actually appreciate someone looking into our kids' products mm -hmm. to make sure that they're okay. When you say something like this, you gotta know, it's gonna scare parents. On World News with Diane Sawyer. I want everyone out there who's already purchased apple juice to keep drinking it. Uh, I don't have any concerns about it what? in the short run. My bigger concern is over the next decade or the next generation, we may be exposing our kids to needlessly high levels of, our, of arsenic. All right, Rich. Needlessly high levels of arsenic. Needlessly high. When I look at the evidence of, of what was in those samples of apple juice and how the study was done, it doesn't raise concerns to me. For Good Morning America, Sharon Alfonsi, ABC News, New York. So again, it's him making his own conclusions against what the consensus of science says. And the, they didn't even talk about in that clip the differentiation between inorganic and organic arsenic. That there are certain, because he didn't test in his particular test that he sent out to whatever lab that he didn't provide the methodology for. He didn't talk about the fact that they didn't differentiate at all between inorganic and organic arsenic. Organic is completely fine, not a problem. It happens. It's in apple seeds, so it's going to show up in apple juice. And we're not going to rehash this whole arsenic thing, but he's just, he's an alarmist. It's anything he can do to get ratings at the expense of the truth, at the expense of facts, at the expense of science. Well, maybe he's just having like knee-jerk reactions to things and not thinking things through. I mean, yeah. It's not an excuse. I'm no, just trying to be. figure out it, yeah. what, what's going on in his head, you know? It, which, you know, it, it, 
it all boils down to, and don't forget. I also realize there's a lot of fraud in actually the products themselves. They're selling you fake stuff, and the research behind it was often fraudulent. Ugh. God damn, he is the worst. Is he not? No, he is. He is the absolute best. <laughs> and is that going to be your new thing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been doing it to people outside of the podcast lately, too. Uh, I kind of like it. Yeah. I kind of like it. It's really fun. Actually, I'm going to have to... I'm going to... Ooh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. Yeah. <laughs> That's you. You're Lumberg. Um, I do love me some Gary Cole. I thought you were just going to say, actually, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree. I'm not Lumber. No, no. <laughs> I surprised you. Well, I know you love Gary Cole, who plays Lumberg, Bill Lumberg on Office Space, because he's on Veep. Yes. And he's been on, he was on Entourage back when I watched it, like the first four seasons or something. Yes. And you do love you some Gary Cole. Yes. He is a very handsome fellow. He was also in Dodgeball. Yep, he yeah. was mm-hmm. one F- of the one, F and A Cotton, one of the commentators <laughs> with Jason Bateman. All right, well, moving on. Uh, another follow-up. Goddamn. Um, we talked on episode one hundred five about an organization that is trying to get the Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, taken off the twenty-dollar bill, and it appears that they have a winner. One day, it did occur to me. That there were no women on the money. And I thought, gee, this is a crazy omission. Women on 20s is a group devoted to replacing Andrew Jackson's picture on the $20 bill with one of a woman. For months, they've been narrowing the field of which female that should be, and they've finally decided on one. The abolitionist Harriet Tubman was selected via an online poll conducted on the organization's website. Among the four candidates, Tubman received just over 33% of the votes. Eleanor Roosevelt pulled in enough support to land her in second place. Rosa Parks finished third, and in fourth was Cherokee Nation Principal Chief Wilma Mankiller. Women on 20s is asking that people support the campaign by using the hashtag Dear Mr. President when discussing the push to put a woman on paper money. It's their feeling that it's high time for such a thing to happen. The group's executive director said, Our paper bills are like pocket monuments to great figures in our history. Our work won't be done until we're holding a Harriet $20 bill in our hands. Congress is currently discussing an act that addresses the matter at large. Ultimately, however, it's up to the Secretary of the Treasury to decide if a woman will appear on the 20, and if so, who it will be. Well, I don't want to claim to be like Sylvia Brown. Mm. And maybe it's not even that I predicted she would win. Jesse D., the great prognosticator, <laughs> right? Well, this is a clip that I'm getting ready to play, mm. not from an, a news agency, but this is a clip played from this very program. So another one is Harriet Tubman, course. who, of course, was born a slave and fled north to freedom, later making 19 trips back to the south, is an underground railroad conductor leading some 300 slaves to freedom. I think that would be an awesome choice. I also think that having some reminder that we... The scourge of slavery and human trafficking um, is a problem that we had to deal with. I think keeping that in the forefront and not just, oh, let's let's not talk about it, you know, like they do in Germany with with uh, the Holocaust and no one can. There's there's a real sensitivity to that kind of stuff. And I I don't want it to go away. Obviously, it will never. But I would like it to be at the forefront that 
we are imperfect and we we have had to overcome obstacles and the mistakes of our past and having uh, Harriet Tubman on uh, the 20 would be awesome. And we're back. <laughs> well, I had to make some kind of a, a transition because if it goes from my voice then to this, who right. knows what when the past is and when the present is. So congratulations. It's like a, it's like a time machine vortex, Brittany Page. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. For, Thank you, madam. For doing such a good job. <laughs> Now, back to the matter at hand here. Uh, a petition has now been sent to President Obama asking him to, quote, order the Secretary of the Treasury to change the current portrait portrayed on our American $20 banknote to reflect the remarkable accomplishments of an exemplary American woman who has helped shape our nation's great history. So it doesn't take an act of Congress. Yeah, I didn't know this. This is shocking to me. The Secretary of Treasury just needs to, to do it. Yeah, I mean, he could put Dr. Oz on the 20 bill, $20 bill if he wanted to. That's what I was saying. I could become <laughs> the the Secretary of Treasury and then put Dr. Drew on the $20 bill. You could do that. I think it's unlikely that you'll ever become the Secretary of the Treasury just based on the fact that you're terrible at math. Okay, well, the other factor, <laughs> the more important factor that you could have said is that the Treasury requires by law only the portrait of a deceased individual to appear on the U.S. currency. I did know that. Okay. Yeah. Well, good job. That I knew. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I knew that, Brittany. I'm really glad that you know stuff. Sometimes I know some stuff. Because if you didn't know stuff, I feel like this would be really difficult to do. <laughs> the show? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I should be dumb guy next episode and just, uh, uh, yeah. Listen, I listen to enough podcasts. It's not out of the realm of possibility. There's a lot of shows out there <laughs> with people who think they're super fucking smart. And mm. I'm not one of them. I don't think I'm super smart. I just have a point of view. But goddamn, there's some bad news out there. Bad news. All right. Let's take up for our community and be supportive. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Good news, everybody. Jeb Bush is apparently unaware <laughs> of the rules surrounding campaign finance and what the, what the Federal Election Commission regulations are uh you're not allowed to well let's put it this way once you announce that you're running for president different rules apply to you relative to fundraising relative to the money that you spend it's just a whole different thing when you're a prospective candidate you can do whatever you want as soon as you announce though different shit kicks in yeah well Apparently, Jeb Bush got a little loose with reporters when asked a question and prematurely announced and then ah, tried to backpedal mid-sentence. Basically, is there any way you would have done things differently than your brother? I'm running for president in 2016, and the focus is going to be about how we, if I run, how do you create high-sustained economic growth uh, where more people have a chance at earned success. And I will apply my record and the ideas that are relevant going forward to all of this. Of course, I have differences with every president, uh, previous president. I think I would have been like, oh, you are? <laughs> Just interrupted right. him. Yeah. Stopped him right where he was. Can we quote you on that, Governor? Yeah. <laughs> 
But for those of you who missed it, I'm running for president in 2016, and the focus is going to be about how we, if I run, if I run, yeah, we know you're running, guy. It's just, it's a gaffe. It's he's made a lot of these lately, and it makes me wonder. I keep saying this phrase: if he's ready for prime time. It's a lot of there's a listen running for for governor of a major state. It's a big deal. And you're under a lot of scrutiny and you have to be a skilled or well, you'd think you'd have to be a skilled orator. But based on what we heard last episode, he's not he's not the greatest public speaker. But when you run for president of the United States, it's a whole different game. I mean, it's the big leagues. They no. dig they dig way deeper into your past. They find out shit that they never would have found out or even looked for when you ran for governor. It's the big leagues. And I'm not I'm not entirely sure that he's ready. Or maybe his campaign staff isn't up to par getting him prepped. That reminds me of a tweet I read one time. I forgot who tweeted it. But someone said, I could find out everything there is to know about Osama bin Laden in seconds if I ever knew that he dated my boyfriend. <laughs> I thought that was super funny. funny. I don't remember who tweeted it, but if you like put it in Google, I'm sure you can find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't want to rip him off or rip. I'm I think sure. it was a woman. Yeah, yeah, a woman off. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what happens, though, to the the presidential candidates. Oh, they yeah. start digging everything up on them, and then exposing it. And it's funny. We were actually watching the news the other day, and they were discussing how many interviews or I guess lack of interviews Hillary Clinton has given Yeah. Oh my since God. she announced her presidency and they compared her to Carly, Fiore, Carly, Fiore, Carly Fiorina. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, every time, don't worry, you're not going to have to pronounce her name long because she's not going to fucking be around very long. And the person that was talking about. In oh, a- you're talking about Fox News. Yes, this was on Fox News. And they started saying, oh, it's been a 26 billion milliseconds since Hillary Clinton answered a question. Well, it's been, I think he said, 88 days, eight weeks. And then he broke that down into like 26,000 minutes. And then that's 2,425,000 seconds. So he broke it down from weeks to minutes to seconds. Look, Dick. And it's like what you said. I don't want to steal your thunder here because this was your thought. If you have to break it down into seconds, it's probably not that big a deal. Yeah. It was Ed Henry is who it was. Yeah. And the thing is, they were saying that Hillary Clinton has given eight interviews, let's say, since announcing. And Fiorina has given hundreds since announcing. Yeah, I think it was hundreds. And... The thing is, no one knows who Fiorina is. Right, she's compared to Hillary Clinton. She's desperately taking advantage of the free media, the free spotlight, as long as she can. Right, and she's given hundreds of interviews, and I have heard essentially none of them. Right. So, <laughs> who are they being given to? A school council <laughs> at a community college or something? I don't. Right. What interviews right. are they counting? Well, the other thing is, until other Democrats get into the race which they need to join, they need to jump in, it's going to be an easy ride for Hillary Clinton. I mean, look, it's going to take more than Bernie Sanders. He he serves to to drive her to the left, to pull her to the left. Um, 
despite what people think, he's not really a legitimate candidate for president of the United States. He is not. We are a we are a, a right center country. For the most part, that's what we are. Maybe we're now we're center to right center. That's what we are. And we're not going to elect a northern European Scandinavian socialist that type for president of the United States. Not in 2016. The country is not ready for that. Well, it, it's too big a change and too large a leap from where we are now to that. Well, it's why also on on the right when people are too fringe, when yeah. people are too wacko bird or what does John McCain call Ted Cruz the wacko bird? I think so, yeah. When people are too wacko bird, they're not going to be elected. That's exactly right. So Ted Cruz, who is a little too much, just period. He's, um, he's he looks like a claymation. There's something wrong with his fucking face. Would you agree? <laughs> He's got what a are little, you doing? It's a little strokey. Like, he's got that lip that kind of smashed down. He's, I don't know, it's, something's going on there. It, when he's on TV, it looks like he's pushing his face against the camera lens. Yes, th- that is it. That is exactly what's going but on. But that's not necessarily bad, and everyone looks how they look, so I just, that's what it looks like sometimes. He's representing the United States of America. We don't need a freak show up there. Okay, that's a little much, but... but it is funny so it's funny all right so jeb bush also was asked recently if he would have done the iraq war thing over again if he had been in his brother's shoes and i think the question was knowing what we know now Oh, okay yeah so it even even made his answer even worse so he said yes which is a terrible answer. And so Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Mike Huckabee? Yeah, all three of them said, uh, nah. Yeah, <laughs> they have been giving as many interviews as possible, you know, fe- oh, right. fearina it up over here. Of course. Saying, yeah, no, we do not agree with that. And no, <laughs> we wouldn't have done that. And of course, Jeb Bush, oh, yep, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I sure would. No good. And he's been eaten alive for it. Because anybody in their right mind, knowing what we know now, not with the knowledge that we had and the intelligence gathering, global intelligence gathering that we had at the time, but right now, knowing what we know, the answer is no, we would not have done that. Going to a protracted, long, devastating war, the answer is no. And not for the effects that it had on Iraq, but the effects that it had on us. Just solely based on that, we wouldn't have done it. So, yeah. What are you going to do, Brittany Page? Well, the thing is, it's getting really exciting. And if you love politics as much as I do, anytime stuff like this happens, it's just so exciting. So, um, I I can't wait for the season to continue. I need to get like circuit, like. I need to get like circus music because it's starting. Yeah. It, it, the, the freak show is beginning. Yes. Now, what we need, Democrats, is more <laughs> Democrats in the race. I mean, uh, Senator Webb, James Webb from Virginia, is he's talking about it. He's he's tossing around the idea, and that would be good. We just need some other, some fresh meat, some fresh blood. Yeah, because it, it, it's more fun that way. Well, also, Hillary is going to skate to the nomination without, I mean, 
I'm not saying anything that everybody doesn't already know, that without competition, she's going to get the nomination. But she's going to skate there unscathed. The, the, the reason it's dangerous to have a million Republicans in the race is because they eat each other up. They, they, they cause each other problems and trip each other. And without that, Hillary Clinton will go completely blemish-free into the convention. So we don't want to see that. We want all of them to have a hard time. So what do you want to do next? A uh, little of this, little of that? Pew, 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 What do we have on the slate from Pew Research today? Well, they just released a massive new report on the religious landscape of mm, America. That is music to my ears. And it's just really fun if you're into this kind of stuff. Which, of course you are. You're listening to the show. Yeah. No shit. I don't think... <laughs> I mean, come on. Our audience, of course, is into this kind of thing. So it's the Religious Landscape Study, and it surveyed more than 35,000 Americans from all 50 states, and it analyzed the relationship between religious affiliation and various demographic factors. And the key finding is that Christians are declining both as a share of the U.S. population and in total number. Mm. So in 2007, 78.4% of U.S. adults identified as Christian with Christian groups such as Protestants, Catholics, Mormons, and others. Seven years later, that percentage has fallen 8%. It is now 70.6%. Wow. That's that's big. And that's accounting for overall population growth in that period. So that means that there are roughly 173 million Christian adults in the U.S. down from about 178 million. That's a pretty decent amount. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's headed in the right direction. <laughs> now, where did all those Christians go? Are you, I bet you're going to tell us. Well, what corresponds with the decline of Christians is the rise of Americans with no religious affiliation. Unaffiliated, which doesn't always mean atheist. It just means unaffiliated. Well, guess what? I have up to discuss what the composition of the religious nuns are. Oh, they finally have done this. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So among U.S. And adults, don't call them nuns. It's too. I, every time you say nuns, I think Catholic nun. Why would I be talking about Catholic nuns? I don't know. It's the first thing I think of when I hear nun. Okay, the religiously unaffiliated. Yes, the nuns. <laughs> okay, among U.S. adults. Okay, so they they did this in 2007, and and they're comparing it to 2014. So the composition of the religiously unaffiliated. The nuns. Among U.S. adults, among all U.S. adults, let's start with atheist slash agnostic. Okay. In 2007, among all U.S. adults, there were 4%. And now that is 7%. Wow. Among the religiously unaffiliated for atheist agnostics, there were 25% in the religiously unaffiliated that were agnostic or atheist. Now there are 31% of the religiously unaffiliated that identify as atheist or agnostic. Wow. And this time they actually break up the atheist agnostic. So in the religiously unaffiliated in 2014, there are 13% that make up Atheists make up 13% in the religiously unaffiliated. Okay. And then agnostics are 17%. Right. Which, 
by my logic, the way I understand it, the way I perceive the two terms, there I don't think there's any difference between an agnostic and an atheist. A lot of people, they I think they misrepresent what atheist is. That it's atheist just means you don't believe in gods. Where agnostic means, well, I'm, I don't know. Well, the thing is, there is no way you can know. No one can know. It is something that can't be known. So an agnostic is an atheist. They don't know. They don't believe because, yeah, they're not sure. It's kind of the same thing. But there is a, a, there is a stigma attached to being an atheist. Right. So a lot of people feel more comfortable saying, well, I'm agnostic. Well, it's because there's so many assholes who are atheists. Yes. Okay, so included in the religiously unaffiliated are people who say they are nothing in particular. And these people either say religion is not important or religion is important. So individuals who say they are nothing in particular make up 69% of the religiously unaffiliated. And 39% of those individuals say religion is not important and 30% say religion is important. So that 30% of that 69% would be what is traditionally known within Christian communities as backsliders. The people who go to church on Christmas and Easter? Well, no. Religion is important, but I'm unaffiliated because I'm not living right. Right. So I think those are the people who maybe go to church on, on Christmas and Easter to kind of freshen up. You think? Because that would seem to me that they're affiliated. Your Christmas, your Christmas and Easter Catholics, they're affiliated. They're still Catholics. They're just... Not good Catholics. I just wish, even when they give us more information, even when Pew gives us more information, it's still not enough. I'd like to know. And every time we tweet Conrad Hackett, is that his name? Mm-hmm. He, he never really lets us know exactly what it is. Well, he responds. He's responded to me a couple of times. But it's hard to really, I guess, make myself clear in 140 characters yeah, about yeah. what I'm exactly looking for. Yeah. And I don't want to bombard him with several tweets. So it's just kind of hard with the limits. You don't, don't want to be a, a stalker. But yeah, so I, I was silent because I was trying to think about my point and I agree it's stupid. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Brittany Page. Thank so you. additionally, um, the share of Americans who identify with non-Christian faiths, such as Islam and Hinduism, has grown modestly in recent years from 4.7% to 5.9%. Muslims now account for 0.9% of the U.S. adult population. That's up from 0.4% in 2007. While Hindus make up 0.7%, which is up from 0.4% hmm. in 2007. So you have Islam growing, Hinduism growing the religiously unaffiliated growing and Christians declining. Hmm. Uh, do they attach this to population at all? Could that Hindu population be growing based on the fact that we have more Hindus um, immigrating? I'm not sure about that. They do. They're clear to say that they accounted for population growth when calculating the decline of Christians. Hmm. So I would assume that yeah. they did that across sure, the spectrum, sure. but yeah. uh, but I can't be sure. And they don't say that here. And I did not look into that further. I, well, I just like to understand, you know, where they came to their conclusions. That's good, though. I mean, this is all very interesting. And if you're wondering, within Christianity, where were the biggest declines in which sect? Flavor. Um, yeah, the biggest declines have been in mainline Protestant traditions. So like evangelical, no? What do they, do they describe what that means? Mainline 
traditional Protestantism? I mean, is that actual Protestant or Lutheran? Because having grown they, up, they, having grown up like an evangelical, tongue-talking, dancing around, raising your hands kind of a Christian, growing up in that kind of a church, to me that was mainline Protestantism. Okay, well they reference mainline Protestant tradition, and then they reference evangelical Protestants as separate. separate. Okay, okay. So, so maybe I don't know. it means like Nazarene, Lutherans, you know, that type of. Like I said, I could look into it further. It's going to take time. Nah, we don't have time. And but we're also, going to post this on the website or on the, the, the Facebook page. The biggest decline has also been among Catholics as well. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to keep butts in the in the pews when you're raping all the kids. Okay. You know what I mean? No. All right. <laughs> well, we are going to wrap it up. Wrap it up with a little Florida Files for you. George Zimmerman, the man who just cannot seem to stay out of trouble, is at it again. George Zimmerman, for those of you who have been living under a rock. Or who live in Denmark. <laughs> oh, right, right. Well, I'm sure that they know. Listeners to the show, we've talked about George Zimmerman several times. George Zimmerman is a man who was acquitted for the murder of the young, unarmed black boy, Trayvon Martin. And in Florida. In that's right, in Florida. That's right. And he has been arrested for domestic violence several times. I think for sure twice, but I think three times, all of which involved firearms. He was pulled over for speeding in the state of Texas, where he had a firearm. This guy's always having gun shit go on. And I listen, I am no opponent of gun ownership. I am not. There, But there seems to be something off with George Zimmerman. It's very strange for me because I did support his him, not him, but I didn't think he should have been convicted of murder at the time, given the evidence that was presented. However, after the fact, after we've seen the character of this guy, yeah. it's hard to stay in his corner. He's a fucking wackabird. <laughs> yeah, wackabird, yeah. He's... He there's something wrong with this he's guy. He's off kilter. Right. Well, he was in an incident th this week with a man that apparently he had been in an incident with a couple of times prior to this, and he got shot. Not the other dude, but George Zimmerman. Police here echoing those same comments as well as they continue their investigation. Now, there was a second scene involved in all of this. George Zimmerman had flagged down a police officer while Matthew Apperson, the other individual police here want to speak with, worked to call 911. For more on that side of the story, we join Gail Pascal Brown. Gail? Yeah, we're told that Apperson came here about a half a mile away and actually stopped employees right in this particular complex and talked to a guy here at Cypress Diagnostic who called 911 right away. But he said he pulled out his gun and I shot him. Kenneth Cornell of Cyrus Diagnostic Imaging in Lake Mary said he had just got back to the office after lunch when a nervous man ran up to him. A guy came pulling up and said, please call 911. Will you please call 911? I was like, well, what happened? He's like, I just shot George Zimmerman. Took me three or four times to 
believe it because it was an odd request, but I called 911. Then the alleged shooter, who police say came in this car to the Bay Tree Center complex on Waymont Court, took the phone and spoke with the dispatcher. And then he got on the phone and started talking and said, I, This has been an ongoing problem, and I shot George Zimmerman. And he said, Look, this is my third incident with them. You do know who I am. I'm Matt Apperson. And will you please? Bring someone here, and the cop showed up within the next two to three minutes. This is cell phone video Richard Vergara took of the scene when rescue came to Lake Mary Boulevard just minutes away from the first scene. You can barely see Zimmerman in his vehicle. According to police records, Zimmerman and a man named Matt Apperson had run ins last September twice in the same week. Apperson did not prosecute in either case. Later on, when you spoke with him, what did he tell you that brought all of this to be? He said it's been again an ongoing incident. It's the third time he's been here. They had an argument in the back one time. Cornell doesn't know the man personally, but knows that he does work in this same complex. He said it was a road raid incident that George Zimmerman, they were driving down the street and George pulled a gun on him. Now, the employees here at Cyrus Diagnostic Imaging tell me that once they found out that it was, in fact, George Zimmerman, they were surprised, shocked even. Brett? Shocked even. Brett? <laughs> I'm not shocked by it. I mean, this he there's something wrong with him. He is a problem. He's a powder keg. If they don't end up prosecuting this guy, and I don't know that they're going to be able to under this in this case because he got shot, he's going to end up killing someone. He's always brandishing a weapon. He's always causing a problem. He's always threatening violence. He's going to end up killing someone else and the state of Florida needs to step in and put their boot on this guy's fucking neck. So he wasn't really shot. Didn't he, it like uh, the bullet shattered glass and it cut him or ricocheted back in his face or something? Right. It The bullet almost hit him in the head. It went through his window and then the window hit him in the face. So Matt Apperson's just a bad shot. So what happened, though, this was kind of irritating me. All over social media, immediately after this occurred, this was breaking news. But if you were to watch any of the mainstream news sources, they were saying, we don't have details yet. We just know that George Zimmerman has been involved in a situation where right. they're saying he was shot. And all of a sudden, I see numerous articles popping up. George Zimmerman was shot in the face. <laughs> And I was freaking out, thinking, oh, my God, he was shot in the face. Are wow, you serious? Yeah. This is true. And, of course, no. Well, I heard I heard not only was he shot, but, but he had lived. And I knew it was in the head area. And he's got a giant pumpkin head. I mean, look, I got a pretty big head on my shoulders. But this guy, seriously, it's it's a Zeppelin. People ride from Europe and around Northern Africa in his head because it's so fucking big. It is quite large. <laughs> so it's a big target. So Matt Apperson, you know, you need to go to the range if, a little bit more and get some practice shots in because there's no way you should be missing that guy's grape. It is massive. But we will follow up on this and let you know what's going on. Um, I don't know why he hasn't been in the Florida files before. Maybe he has, but ugh. He's a wreck, and Florida needs to do something to get this guy off the streets because he is a danger. He's a danger. He's the type that doesn't need to be owning a weapon. So I guess we'll leave you there with a little George Zimmerman news. News. <laughs> 
you need to create a drop of it so I don't have to do it every yeah, time. Yeah, I should. Yeah. Because you're always a little late on the uptick. Yep. Oh, no, right. There right? we are again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, before we go, obviously, I'm going to talk about a little bit of Amazon and I want to talk about some other stuff. But I, I do want to say this. Listen, I'm running out of promos for the show. So if you have anything you'd like to say about this episode, any topic we've talked about this episode or any other, if you go all the way back to episode three and would like to comment, we're waiting for it. 657-464-7609. That is our number. If you are living outside of the United States or you just don't like to talk on the phone, you can send us a voice memo and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. What I want, though, because I'm running out of promos for the show. I'm running out of the, this is Jesse Dollamore from Orange County, California, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore. I'm I'm missing those. So if you have something funny spin on it, send it in. If you don't have a funny spin and you just want to say, this is so-and-so from such a place, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore, we're waiting for him. 657-464-7609 or voice memo, I doubt it, at dollamore.com. Listen, if you want to support the show other than listening twice a week, and we love you for listening, we do. I cannot say it enough. Brittany and I appreciate our audience more than we ever could have imagined. It is awesome that we have such a loyal listening audience that cares so much and participates and helps us to move the conversation forward. But if you'd like to support the show by doing other than that, in addition to that, go to dollamore.com on your way to amazon.com and use the search bar on the left-hand side. If you're going to spend your money anyway at Amazon, why not help support your favorite show filled with news and ridiculous comment? Listen, we love you. Until next time, for Brittany Page... I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I feel like a sweaty bag of smashed assholes. Okay. No good. <laughs> <laughs>